Well, I want to welcome you if you're listening to the, to the podcast. I want to talk this morning on the, the subject of faith, and I want you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 9. Mark's Gospel, ninth chapter. A few weeks ago, I was talking about Thomas and uh, who doubted. And I could have had a subtitle, Doubt and Faith. And today, uh, my title is Faith and Doubt, I suppose. It's the other way around. Now we'll talk about believing rather than unbelieving. And I want to encourage you to operate in a life of faith. Uh, Somebody once said, I believe it may even have been Glenn Balfour, one of the previous pastors of this very church. He said this, he said, when is the last time you did anything that required you to have faith? And then because he's such a brilliant guy, he then rephrased it and said, instead of when's the last time you did anything that required you to have faith, he said this, he said, when's the next time you're going to do anything that's going to require you to have faith. It's actually possible to operate, once you come to Christ, it's actually possible, isn't it, to operate really without faith for the rest of your life. And I want to show you, if that is the case, how impoverished we are if we take that line of action. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to read a little story where faith plays a part. And just to set the scene, it's the, it's the story of how Jesus comes down the mountain and there is a demonized boy that the disciples have not managed to uh, help. And um, Jesus addresses it. It says in verse 14 of Mark 9, uh, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Mark 9, verse 16, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. Boy, oh boy, is that an exact description of what demons do to people exactly. Those three things are absolutely things they do. Seen it many times. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus replies, oh, unbelieving generation, he replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, Take pity on us and help us 
If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Amen. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help thou my unbelief. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the unclean spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him. Never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed violently, and came out. I want to talk a little bit about faith. <laughs> At the end of the story, we, we learn that there's an element of prayer was required to deal with this. But in the first instance, Jesus says, the reason why this problem has remained the way it is uh, is because you, you didn't really have faith. You're an unbelieving generation, he says. He's a little bit harsh with them, really. I always feel a bit harsh reading that. I always try and soften it when I read it. And, uh, uh, but I want to talk about operating in faith. The Bible says that the righteous shall live by faith. And as I was saying in the introduction, I think many of us are just simply saved by faith. But we don't live by faith. And uh, we need to address this. And so I want to talk about biblical faith. Let's just see where we go with this. What does the Bible teach about faith? And, and, and another way to put it is, what is biblical faith? Uh, for example, I have a friend who believes that Elvis is alive. She may indeed be listening on the live link. Hello, doll, if you are. The point is this, Elvis is most likely not alive. But her, she has faith that he is. That's not biblical faith, is it? Biblical faith is something else. And so I want to, I want to address some of these issues. The first thing that we can say about faith, biblical faith, is that it is, I've called it here, the currency of the kingdom. It's the currency of the kingdom. If you go to another country and you don't change your money over, you don't have any currency, you may be actually really wealthy back at, in NatWest in England, or wherever it is, but if you don't change your money into the currency of the kingdom that you're going to go to, then unfortunately, you're, not, you're going to be impoverished. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. And so you need to get some of that money. You need to get some of that currency, some of that denomination, in order to flow and operate in the things of the kingdom of God. And uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says this, For without faith, it is impossible to what? It's impossible to please God. Without faith... It is impossible to please God. Let me turn it around and say, when you have faith, when you do things that require faith, it always pleases God. And uh, just as a little side thought to that, it means this, 
that actually if you had faith, and even if actually it didn't quite work out, it was still pleasing to God. It's amazing. It always thrills the heart of God when you take him at his word. Even if you begin to drown in the water and have to be rescued, you know, like Peter, it still pleases God when you operate in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because, the writer goes on to say, those who come to God must believe, and they must believe two things. One, that he is or he exists. And two, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you don't believe this is in the Bible, have a look in Hebrews 11 verse 6, and it's there. And this, if you like, this for me almost categorizes two type of believers. One set of believers, they believe that God exists. So if they were put on a lie detector, do you believe God exists? I do, I do, I do. And they'd be telling the truth. They believe God exists. But that, friends, is just the beginning of faith. It's not the end. It's the beginning of faith. Because there's another group of believers who believe, they believe God exists, but they also believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And seeking him, that sounds like effort to me. Seeking diligently requires effort Labor, work, time. <coughs> Excuse me. It requires all those things. God has to be sought after, you see. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your journey, to come over into the second of those two things. Believe that God exists, but also believe that he will reward you when you believe him. When you seek after him. And who knows, actually, of the, of the untold blessing that maybe we're all supposed to be under, but we haven't actually pressed into God to receive it. And by the way, can I very quickly say, I'm not talking about money or gold-plated cars. Uh, that may be God's will for you, but... Uh, God's will for me has always been some fantastic second-hand bangers. <laughs> always been God's will for me, that. Uh, I just, but what I'm saying is that actually, I believe you and your family are supposed to be living under untold blessing. And some of that blessing may, may be material, but lots of other things too in the spiritual. That there might be peace in your house, there might be blessing in your life. There might be happiness flowing out of your heart. That's a bit more than having Sky HD. And so God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the righteous, says the prophet Habakkuk, uh, chapter 2 and verse 4, and then it's quoted, I think, in Romans 1 and verse 17, and also in Hebrews. It's kind of quoted throughout the the, um, New Testament. It's like the favorite verse of the Apostle Paul and the writer to the Hebrews, the righteous shall live by faith. And so faith is supposed to be part of our ordinary lives. And that's why I put here in my notes, skeptics beware. In other words, 
it's no good being all cynical and uh, as if you become well it'll never happen and oh uh, I don't believe that and I, I I'm I'm cynical about that all you are is impoverishing yourself is there, is there such a word you are making yourself poor in the currency of the kingdom of God who can say what would happen if Christians believed their beliefs who can say if we began to really put into practice everything that we believed. And uh, it's always a challenge to my heart, and I've said this many times before over many years, but it's always a challenge to my heart to ask, not really what do you believe, but what do you do? What do you do? And then when you tell me what you do, then I tell you what you believe, and vice versa. In other words, do you believe in holiness? Oh, yes. Are you holy? No. Well, then you don't really believe in it. Do you believe that God answers prayer? Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Shaka. Do you pray? Well, no. Then you don't, yeah, then you don't believe God answers prayer. You would do what you believe. So that's a challenge to all of us, me as well as you. It's a challenge to all of us. That we don't get into this false th- idea that we believe things when we're not doing them. You, if, do, do you believe in helping the poor? Oh, yes. I believe that someone else should help the poor. Then you don't don't believe it. And so, the righteous live by faith. So I ask you, in the words of my old friend Glenn, when's the last time you did anything that needed any faith? Because it's supposed to be some of this flowing in our lives a lot. Number two, faith must be in, in God's word and God's will. Faith must be in God's word and in God's will. I put on my notes, no blank check. And the reason I wanted to say that was just bring a bit of balance. Because I've heard some preaching where you would, you would think that once you were full of the Holy Ghost, you could do anything you wanted. Anything you wanted to do, you could do. And actually, that's not, that's not a biblical perspective. God has not given you a blank check to, to do whatever you want to do. Uh, it must be in God's will that all these things are done. So, for example, you might have faith, real faith, that, you know, Tom is going to marry you. Or, uh, or, or Angela is, you know. And, and you might have great faith about that, and you might come to the front and cry about that, and you might feel someone prophesied that, but actually, if Tom isn't going to marry you, and that's not what God is doing, then you're not operating in faith, really. I guess you're operating in presumption, you're operating in hope. And God bless you, but it's not biblical faith. It's not biblical faith to say, God is going to give me this job. And I'm going to have faith for it, because maybe God wants to give you another job. And So don't confuse faith Uh, with hope. Uh, All Christian thinking is positive. But not all positive thinking is Christian. Let's say that again. All Christian thinking is positive. We put our trust in God. He will do something good for us. 
but not all positive thinking is Christian. You know, I will pass my test. I will pass my test. I will pass my test. Here I am in my driving test. I'm going to pass it. I'm going to pass this test. Well, maybe God thinks that you might be a bit dangerous on the A14. (coughs) Right? Now, maybe God thinks that you perhaps shouldn't pass your test just yet. So we're not talking about positive thinking. We're talking about putting our faith in the Word. We're not talking about believing in Elvis. it, it, It is faith to believe things, but it's not biblical faith to believe anything. And uh, so we must really become students of the Word of God to know what, what is in the Word of God. I'll give you an example. Uh, if I'm standing in uh, some hall or auditorium in South America and people have come to be healed, I have faith that Jesus heals the sick. I have that faith. He heals the sick. He's revealed himself as a healer. I'm putting my faith in the word. But if I pray for someone and they don't seem to manifestly recover, I don't tell them, well, you are healed. And go home and you'll find yourself healed. Uh, Because I don't know that in their particular case. But that doesn't take away the general principle that Christ has come to destroy the works of the evil. So I put my faith in the God of the Bible, and the way he has made himself known. I'm putting my faith in his character, the things he's revealed about the kind of God he is. And when I read the Bible, I find he is a healer, but I also find that he has a time for everything under heaven. And so it's about holding those two things in tension. It doesn't trouble me that. Jesus heals people. Uh, but, uh, but, but some of it is v- very much in his time and way. Romans, of course, says that uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The Word of God. Yeah. So faith is something that uh, comes as we look at the Word of God. Lots of people have faith. Your friends at work have faith. Your family, they have faith. People who don't believe in Jesus Christ, they have faith in all sorts of things. It was G.K. Chesterton who said many, many years ago, he's dead now, but he gave this famous quote that when people give up on the God of the Bible, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. And sometimes we meet people for whom that seems to be very true. So lots of people have faith, but we need to have faith in the word of God in the things that he said. And, and that requires us to, to look at the word of God. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask me for anything and I will do it. So biblical faith must be in the, in the goodness of God. But there's lots of times when we don't know what he's doing. We don't know what he's doing. And uh, I told a story not so long ago about going into a property I wanted. And it was a marvelous place. I thought, this is perfect. And I remember the verse, every place where you put your foot shall belong to you. And I claimed it in the Lord. And, and then later on that afternoon, I, I didn't have it. And God gave me another place. It, was, it truly was much better. Uh, but what was I doing? I, I, but my faith was in error, if you like. 
Uh, my faith was, was that this was it. But biblical faith is to, it's just simply that God is good and God is going to sort this out. Amen. Let's look at another aspect of, of faith. Faith is never about size, but use. Let's go over and look at some of these verses. Let's go to Luke 17. And I want us to look at the, the prayer that Jesus didn't answer in Luke chapter 17. Please turn in your Bible here. And I want to read a little bit of this chapter. Many years ago, a book came out, and I never read it. I just heard other people talk about it, and so I don't want to be critical of the book. But the title uh, was enough to worry anyone. It said, How to Have Faith in Your Faith. It's a Christian book. How to Have Faith in Your Faith. I want to tell you this morning, whatever you do, don't have faith in your faith. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you've got the book at home, take it back. You're not supposed to have faith in your faith. The Bible says that our faith need only be very small. A mustard seed, right? The tiniest of, of uh, seeds. The secret of powerful faith is that you bring your little faith, but your little faith is in an enormous God. So it's God that's big, right? God's big. Our faith may be very, very small, (coughs) but it should be that our small faith is in a very, very big God. If you don't have a big God, then you're not going to have a very big life. If you have a big God, you're going to have a big life. If you have a small God, you're going to have a very small life. Your life really is as big as your God. In terms of your faith. When you see impossible circumstances. How can this happen? How can this door open for me? How can this situation turn around? You have to. And I know you've heard this a hundred times before. But let's say. You have to take your eyes off the problem. And put your eyes on God. But let me add to that. You have to put your eyes on a big God. Because if your God is small. Sometimes in our lives we have to admit that our God is smaller than our phone bill. Particularly if you've been making one or two calls. Sometimes we have to say, my God is smaller than my illness. In In my mind. And the secret of faith is not to have big faith. You can have a very small amount of faith, but it must be in a big God. And we have this tension all the time, just like the father in the story we read at the beginning. I do believe, but help thou, Lord, my unbelief. Here's the prayer in Luke 17 that Jesus did not answer. Verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Are you all with me? Luke 17, verse 5. Say I if you are. Okay, the apostles said to the Lord, I heard Birmingham then. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. 
Oh, I just heard Birmingham then, because we're nine seconds behind. All right. He's, they say to Jesus, increase our faith. Now, what would happen today in a charismatic service? You'd line all the people up and say, right, we're going to give you faith. Receive faith. Receive faith. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. Not that that's necessarily wrong. He actually does not answer their prayer. But he wants to instruct them about the nature of faith. So let's read on. He says, if you have faith, as small as a mustard seed, verse 6, you can say to this mulberry tree, and in the other uh, parallel passage in Mark, of course it's a mountain, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. And most people would end reading it there. But I want to continue because it's all part of the same conversation. It's all part of faith. He says this in verse 7. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Or would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, Wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that, you may eat and drink. Now, this concept of a master and a slave, it's not, it's not our cup of tea today. But in the days of Jesus, in these days, you had, of course, masters and you had slaves. And what Jesus is saying is that a master, when he comes into the house, he expects the servant to work, to work hard, to look after him. After the servant has looked after him, then he can go and have something to eat. But first, in this context, the servant had to look after the master. What Jesus is saying is that in, in their particular culture, in their particular style of life, which is not how it is today, thank God, at least not, not everywhere, uh, the servant was not supposed to be lazy. That's really what he's saying. The servant was not supposed to be lazy. The master knew that if he let the servant be lazy, then he was making a rod for his own back. And after a period of time, that servant wouldn't be doing anything. That's what the story is about. And this is all in the context of faith. What Jesus is saying is this. You don't need your faith to be increased. What has happened is your faith has become flabby. It's become lazy, like a servant who hasn't been put to work. Can you see that? And what he's saying is, if you want to increase your faith, you have to use your faith. If you use your faith, you will increase your faith. But there's no uh, yabba-dabba-doo prayer that can increase your faith. Rather, I mean, there are special visitations of the Holy Spirit, and I'll mention those in a minute. But generally speaking, if you want your faith to increase, yes, you have to be a student of the Word of God so you know what your faith is in, but you have to use your faith. You have to put it to use. If you haven't believed God, for anything, for 10 years, and then a crisis hits, don't be astonished 
that you don't have huge faith to carry you through. Because you will have become flabby in the operation of your faith. But if you are living by faith, you're the righteous shall live by faith. You are a believer. You live in the realm of believing God. You're trusting in God. And that's why, by the way, sometimes problems are the best thing that can happen to us. Can you say amen? I tell you, sometimes problems they are that because you don't need faith when everything's fine. But you need faith when things are not fine. Amen. I had a Many years ago, living in a place where the only way to put the heater on was to put a pound in the machine. And some of you may be living in such a circumstance now. And I was a tourist guide and stood at the end. And, and I knew that if I gave a really good tour, I might get a tip. I tell you, I, those pound coins never looked so golden and shiny in all my life. Because one guy got a pound and he thought, oh, that'll be good. Now I maybe can have a few more beers tonight with these pound coins. I thought I could have a bath tonight. You can tell I wasn't married then. I wonder why. Sometimes problems are the best thing that can happen. Don't ask God to deliver you of all your problems. You become very overweight and out of shape in the area of faith. You need a problem from time to time to see where you're at. Do you believe God or not? Are you a believer or not? You need a problem. You think you need miracles to increase your faith. Newsflash! Sometimes you need problems to increase your faith. I'm I'm preaching good today. You don't need a handkerchief from the TV. Put it on your head or I'm all right now. What you need is sometimes a problem. So we can sort out what do we really believe. Are we a believer or not? Are we going to live by faith or not? Now if I said let's all line up the front who wants a problem, I tell you this would be a bit empty here. A barrel of hay would blow by. But I tell you, sometimes it's the best thing for us. It's the best thing for us. That's not defeatist. That's, that's biblical truth. That's biblical truth. God said, the reason I took you through the desert to the Israelites is I wanted to see what was in you. I wanted to see what was in you. So faith is not about size. It's about use. It's about use. It's about use. If you use it, then you're going to increase your faith. In the gym of life, in the gym of faith, you become fitter. But if you don't use faith, you don't have faith, then of course you become weaker. And there there isn't really a shortcut. It's, It's the way it works. Now, finally, the fourth area where I would reflect to be biblical faith is that it can be received from God. And this is, I guess this is where the good news kicks in. People say, I just don't have any faith. And I assure you, you do. 
The Bible says in Romans 12 that everyone has faith. Everyone. Everyone has faith. Even your uh, non-Christian neighbor or your non-Christian husband or whoever it may be who absolutely is not interested in Christianity, actually God has given him a measure of faith. That's what Romans says. Has given him or her a measure of faith to believe. Everyone has the capacity to believe. Now we said a few weeks ago, there's a sliding scale. Some people believe everything, you know. Ooh, you know. An alien visited me last night. Uh, oh, I, uh, uh, it's my lucky number, Noel. Believe anything. Right? And uh, <coughs> other people believe nothing. You know, oh no, I'm a monkey with shoes on. You know, uh, uh, that's me, I don't believe anything. And they're very cynical and whatever. And can I tell you, by the way, both of these people can get saved. Listen, both of these people can get saved. But when they get saved, they still may carry with them into their salvation this overwhelming characteristic. Right? Of cynic or uh, fairy-believing naivety. Right? And, and neither is exactly right. It may be a little better to be here than there. But actually, what is, what is, is that we have biblical faith here where we don't believe anything, but, but we believe the Word of God. We believe the Word of God. But God has given to everyone a measure of faith. You have faith given to you by God. Now, you receive it. You have to make it work. You have to take it to the gym of life and make it work. But God has given it. It's very interesting in the Bible, and we looked at this in one of our Bible school topics the end of last year, so I don't want to repeat any of that. But faith is actually a fruit of the Spirit. And it is also a gift of the Spirit. It is the only one of the nine, there's nine gifts of the Spirit, there's nine fruit of the Spirit, and only one of them is the same, and it's faith. And uh, sometimes the translations uh, speak of the fruit of faithfulness, but in the Greek it's, the, it's just exactly the same word, it's the word faith. The word faith. There is such a thing as the gift of faith. And there is such a thing as the fruit of faith. Let me tell you what I believe to be the difference. But I may not be right. But I think, I think I'm right. But I may not be right. I think that the fruit of faith is when God sustains you over a long period of time to believe in. It's a character thing. It's not a charismatic thing. It doesn't operate with the sound of music playing or in meetings. It operates on a day-by-day, season-by-season basis. That in your life, you could have faith growing. I believe God. I see problems. There's issues. There's heartache. But I believe God. People go through 20 years of a rough time. And 20 years later, they're still in church with their hands in the air. Whereas another in the same row may go through 20 minutes of problems and they're gone. And so there is a real sense of God sustaining people who wish it. The fruit of faith. Then you have the gift of faith. 
I think uh, I may have operated in this just once. I remember many, many years ago, and I'm probably going back now to 1995, 96, probably the spring of 1996. And I remember I was an assistant pastor in those days, and uh, my senior pastor was away, and he said, you're looking after the meeting. And that was a bit of an ordeal in those days. <laughs> and um, I remember all week, I couldn't get a message together, and uh, I have changed, you know, over the years, but no, I couldn't get a message together. What am I going to say? You know, these days I have to think, how am I going to stop saying things? But then I think, what am I going to say? And uh, <laughs> so I got up and I preached the gospel. And I have to tell you, the reason I preached it was because I knew, I knew the gospel. And uh, it would be good to hear. And, and I don't know if anyone unsaved would be in, but I preached the gospel. Great gospel message. I still preach that message today, in fact. And uh, anyway, at the end of the service, I was getting all... It's very easy, by the way, to confuse the anointing with adrenaline. And I don't know if it was anointing or adrenaline, but they, are, they feel very similar sometimes. Some people, they say, oh, I got the anointing. You say, no, you just need to have a coffee and sit down. But I, I might have had adrenaline, I might have had anointing, but I remember I shot my mouth off. And I said, and this gospel I preached to you today, now Jesus will prove it by curing the sick. If you are sick, come to the front. And uh, anyway, they all came. Uh, then I was in trouble. I, I shot my... Now we find out, is this adrenaline or is this anointing? And a girl stood in front of me. I remember being on this side of the platform. And her name escapes me. It'll come back to me in a minute. I think she's called Deborah. And uh, Debbie, and she stood in front of me, and I said, what's wrong with you? And uh, she said, I had a car accident, I have no feeling in my face, I haven't felt my face for, I don't know, six, seven years, I can't remember, but it was many, many years. And I prayed with her, and as I finished praying with her, again, is this adrenaline, is this anointing, who knows? But I felt God say to me, hit her in the face. In those days, we didn't go live. Amen. <laughs> so I gently tapped her in the face in a loving way to make her think maybe I was patting her in an affectionate way. Trying to obey God and trying to stay British about this and keep my job as well. Oh, how did it go Sunday night? Oh, well, Pastor, I punched a girl. But it, was, <laughs> it went really well. The offering was good. Uh, but the ambulance stayed a long time. <laughs> oh, by the way, we're being sued. Okay, yeah. I hit her in the face. Yeah, all the feeling came back. You know, if that wasn't going to happen, I wouldn't have told you the story, would I? She was cured. And she fell on her knees. She was crying. She was he wonderfully healed. And in those days, I hadn't seen much of that. This was quite a shock. So I'm trying to pull her up from the floor. She's crying, you know. And I want to get a testimony, you know, but she's, she just wants to cry because she's just been healed by the master. Hallelujah. She's not going to get a testimony. She's not going to get him sing. It's not American Idol. 
She's just crying. She's healed. And when I saw her healed, I don't know what happened to me. Something happened to me. I just went mad. I turned into something else. And because I saw her healed, it was like a shroom in me. And now I looked at him and I thought, every one of you is going to be healed now. And I went down the line with arthritis, pulling them around and yanking them around. And you know, one after the other, they were, they were cured. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Miracle after miracle after miracle. In fact, what I remember, I remember one lady who was not healed. That's the lady I remember. And by that we mean not healed there in front of me. I don't remember many of the others. But I was like crazy. Everything was possible with me. If someone had said, can you fly? I'd have flown. Not far. <laughs> but I'd have flown. And this happened for about 20 minutes. As I'm praying like this, there's a group of children who are kind of just larking around. They're uh, maybe seven or eight years old. Just children were in the corner. And while I'm praying like this, suddenly they're all slain in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I don't go nowhere near them. Suddenly all the children woo down. By the power of God. Twenty minutes later, it was done and I was suddenly I began to come back into my own head. And then just it was over, we're finishing. Guys are packing up his music stuff. And I came up and one person came up to me and said, Can you pray for me now? I didn't want to come out earlier. Maybe they saw me punching women. I don't know why that would put people off. I want to pray, get prayed for now. And I said, you know, I don't know if I can. Because it had sort of gone, you know. Now, I don't know whether that's quite right. I did pray with her. But it was like a, a, the gift of faith. And I can't tell you that happened ever again. Not quite like that. And then I got, I went to work after that, pick up wages my workplace and then I went to bed so it's now 12 o'clock on Sunday night I'm lying in bed and I just start thinking to myself what were you doing it never occurred to me that God would not come through maybe that's the gift of faith maybe we're nearly done just look at one more Bible verse with me will you Judges chapter 6 Judges 6. Nearly done. But here's something I saw just the other day. And maybe this is a message all by itself, but um, anyway, I'll throw it out. Judges chapter 6. Please turn and we'll finish by looking at this. Israel has been having trouble with the Midianites. And Gideon is God's answer. Gideon is God's answer. (laughs) He doesn't think he is. So an angel appears to him, and because of time, I'll just read the two verses that that affect us here. 
He says in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about? When they said, did, he not, did not the Lord bring you up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, put us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Uh, in the um, New American Standard version of this, and I think King James too, it is uh, more a little true to the tense of the text, which is, have I not sent you? If you have a King James, you may see that. Have I not sent you? And I've never seen this before quite like this. God appears, and a man of God says, where are the miracles? We heard all about these miracles. Where are they? And what is God's answer? Well, have I not sent you? You're the answer. There are, there are no miracles because you've not gone, he says. I've, I've sent you. <laughs> you imagine that, say to God, Lord, I, where are the miracles? He says, well, when are you going to do them? Because I've been, I know you've been waiting on me, but I've been waiting on you. Isn't it amazing? Maybe that could fall upon us like a dew of revelation here. Where are the wonders? And God says, well, they, you're supposed to do them. <laughs> I've come down here to ask you where the wonders are. Don't ask me. Where are the wonders? Well, I've come down to ask you where they are. You took the words right out of my mouth. Now, I'm rewriting the Bible left, right, and center here. thought is there. Where are the wonders, Lord? And God says, well, have I not sent you? You are my wonder. You're the one going to do the wonders. You want to see the wonders of God in the British Isles? Have I not sent you? Says the Lord. Aren't you, aren't you willing to do them? If you're willing to do them, then we'll see them. And the righteous will live by faith. We're going to believe that God exists for sure. We're also going to believe that he is a rewarder of all those who seek him. If you're listening to the podcast, God bless you and goodbye.